What new technologies are on the horizon for growing indoors so we can sustainably feed a growing global population while using less inputs? I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is GreenSense, where we bring you eco-innovations that make life better. The Dutch company Ritter manufactures greenhouse technology that allows growers to improve efficiencies and above all, grow more sustainably. We're joined by Joop van den Bosch, Chief Innovation Officer with Ritter. Joop, thanks for joining us all the way from the Netherlands. Hello, Robert. Pleased to be on your uh, your show. Well, we first met around 2015 in Chicago as part of a trade mission that was led by the king and queen of the Netherlands. I've never met a king and queen before. Do you uh, hang around with the king and queen often? Uh, I think it was the, the first time in the last time that I uh, joined them. But uh, I'm very proud of uh, of them because see, you you were you were born a royal. If you were born a royal, you you also need to act royal, like me. <laughs> Very difficult uh, to me, but uh, yeah, I was quite impressed with them and their sincere interest in agriculture, which is a big part of uh, the Netherlands. Um, and I've always enjoyed working with you. You have a very practical approach and a firsthand growing knowledge, especially when it comes to controlled environment ag agriculture. You're a third generation greenhouse grower. So I'd like to hear your story. Tell us how your family history in the greenhouse business uh, evolved and why the Dutch are so proficient at growing indoors. Yeah, now the, 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 the Dutch history in, uh, in greenhouse growing is also a little bit my family history. <laughs> That's the, uh, I'm the first generation that does not own his own greenhouse. My father uh, uh, had, a, had his own greenhouse operation and both of my grandfathers had a, a greenhouse operation already before the, the, the Second World War. They were in greenhouse industry. That's that's the say the Dutch history in uh, in that technology. And when did that start? It's it basically uh, started and 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 sometimes I remind uh, uh, our customers in other countries of that. the The Dutch industry uh, reminded uh, uh, started uh, say in the beginning of the the last century. In in. Uh, at that moment, there was a big rise in the cities in the Netherlands. The city like Rotterdam and The Hague really grew very fast in population. So there was a lot of demand for food. And at that time, the area in between the two cities was designated for food production. And because of the, the need for food and the growing need for food, also the, the efficiency to produce that food on that same piece of land needed to increase. And that's how uh, the Netherlands became so efficient because we are a dense populated country with a limited amount of land available. So it always had to be more efficient every year over year. And that's what, what did your that's grandfather's what uh, greenhouse look like compared to a modern greenhouse? Yeah, that, uh, I think the, the, original, the original greenhouse uh, they had was uh, two feet high. It's it's hard to it's hard to imagine to see that as a greenhouse, but it was actually uh, uh, planes of glass uh, covering uh, the soil. And because of the the sun uh, going through the glass, lightening the plants, uh, but protecting it from the outside environment. That already created a good atmosphere to grow lettuce, cucumbers, tomatoes. And 
So the original greenhouse was two, two feet high, so <laughs> really low. And then over time, they raised it. And current greenhouses are 20 feet high. Well, so, the Dutch are some of the tallest people in Europe, so I don't know that they that, did that, very well in a two-foot greenhouse. That was, that, was, <laughs> that was part of it, but also the plants like it when there's a lot of air above them. So it's, it's also better growing conditions. And, and today, and you also see that in America right now, is that today, besides uh, greenhouses, you also have fully enclosed uh, growing environments that are taking place. So that, that, that technology is, is still developing. And a glasshouse has an advantage that you, you take full uh, benefit of the sun energy into your greenhouse. If you have a fully enclosed environment, yeah, you need to put more energy uh, in it for uh, heating and, and cooling. So in Europe, uh, it's very traditional for the oldest son to take over the father's business. Your uh, grandfather started a greenhouse. Your father operated a greenhouse. Tell us about you. How did you get involved with the greenhouse business? Yeah, the, I was, uh, I'm, I'm the only son. So I was designated to, uh, to take over my father's greenhouse, but I, I never did. Uh, and also both my sisters, uh, one of my sisters married another greenhouse grower. So they, she's still in the, in the greenhouse business. But in the end, uh, after my, uh, uh, my college in uh, horticulture, I decided to, uh, to, to work uh, in the industry, but not uh, own and operate uh, the greenhouse myself. And my father ended up selling his greenhouse to my nephew, who with that acquisition could double his, his acreage in, uh, in greenhouse industry. But the, the, because growing up in a greenhouse, being educated as a grower with my, half of my family in the greenhouse industry, I have a real passion for the industry. And that, that passion for the industry, I, I still carry with me in the, my daily work because every day I'm, I'm involved with innovations to make uh, greenhouse solutions uh, more efficient, uh, solutions that can help growers to uh, improve their business. So that, that, that passion for the industry is, is still reflected in, uh, in my work of today. I'm not sure if this is urban legend, but I heard that uh, the Dutch weren't the first to develop the greenhouse, that it was the Greeks or Romans. Uh, do you know the story? Yeah, it was, it was the Romans. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, it's a funny story about, uh, I think it was one of the, 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 the Roman emperors that uh, was very fond of cucumbers. Yeah, it's hard to imagine 2,000 years ago. But not he was tomatoes? Very fond, <laughs> no, not tomatoes, not tomatoes. He was fond of cucumbers. And... The, uh, but he had a problem that even in Italy, in the wintertime, it's too cold to grow cucumbers. So he came up with the idea to have a, a transparent material to put it over, uh, uh, over the crop so he could produce cucumbers uh, for his family in the wintertime. And that was the first uh, written evidence of a greenhouse construction to grow, uh, to grow vegetables. And I think it was, uh, so it was the, the Roman Empire. 
but later it was in the in the uh, in the 1800s where universities were building botanical gardens and that was the, the mere, more the modern approach for greenhouses where in the botanical gardens universities in western europe were able to grow tropical plants in an in a northern climate and from that botanical gardens i think they are the the, the predecessor of the more more modern uh, greenhouse uh, applications and today yeah you can see it uh, you could see it all over the world in in different material because it can be glass it can be plastic all kinds of uh, material and and the way you you started your 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 talk it's we in that sense we don't call it greenhouses so much anymore it's more say uh, controlled environment agriculture because it can has also have multiple forms it doesn't have to be in the form of a greenhouse well that's a great story um so you uh were a young man went to college told papa i'm not going to operate the greenhouse so how yeah. did you get from uh the son of a greenhouse grower uh, to the chief technology officer at Ritter. Yeah, the, the, of course, uh, things go uh, go step by step. The uh, my first job I uh, I had was uh, that was in the age when when computers were entering uh, small businesses. Say in the late '80s, computers became available, and and that's similar like now the the, the modern technology. You you trust to the youngsters to uh, to help you with that, and and at that time I was one of the youngsters, <laughs> and I was uh, I was giving classes to growers about how to use computers, and from from giving uh, training to growers, I learned a lot about uh, what their needs were, uh, and from from that, I became part of the development team of a uh, Dutch technology company to, to convert those needs into uh, new applications, new products. And uh, I had an, uh, a keen interest and uh, maybe also a little bit talent for that. So I continued in that, uh, that line of work and uh, from becoming a, a, a product manager for one specific product group over time, when you when you grow some gray hairs, gray hairs, then you get uh, uh, to the point where I'm today uh, responsible for yeah, the, the the complete R and D team of uh, of the Ritter Group, yeah, developing new products. And I must say, over time, the the products became more exciting as well. From from a, uh, from a sensor, developing a sensor, developing a piece of software to to now uh, being involved in in uh, artificial intelligence and robotics, uh, that uh, that direction. That, well, that's impressive. Uh, you mentioned CEA, and that's a science of growing indoors. On the far left, you could have a simple hoop house with a yeah. little controlled environment. To the far right, you have a indoor vertical farm where the environment's totally controlled. Uh, vertical farming is the new kid on the block. It's about 10, year old, 10 years old as a commercial form of uh, production. Where do you see the biggest technology challenges uh, and opportunities with vertical farming? The, uh, now the big opportunity is that uh, uh, a vertical farm is, is very efficient in the, in the use of land. 
and of course efficient in use of uh, of water and, uh, and and energy as well the the opportunity is that you can really grow anywhere anytime so that means that you can uh, uh, where the demand is for food say in the big cities very close by you can organize uh, the the fruit and vegetables to be grown so you you take away all the all the shipping over the continent over oceans you take that away and really produce close to uh, to the communities that uh, that consume them so that's the big the big opportunity of uh, of vertical farming and uh, with vertical farming you can actually grow in the city itself with greenhouses you can also uh, come closer to that but with greenhouses you also have always have more impact from the outside environment because it's a transparent structure so you have a little bit more challenging uh, environment than with an, a real closed environment with a vertical farm but that's the, that's the opportunity really close by close by consumers and it's uh, and uh, and I'm I'm of course we are we are in a in a, in a, I'm acting in a global market, and and where you see and that I see that in the U.S. as well, but in many other countries as well, is that people are more and more aware of where their food is coming from, and with that awareness becomes also the demand from why do I have to get my food out of Mexico or so why not produce it locally it's it's fresher and uh, what what also is today in in days of uh, of covid in days of uh, of political unrest in the world i think it's a basic need for every country to be self sufficient in its food supply well, you do work globally, and you come from a very unique area, the Netherlands, the Westlands, where all the greenhouses are, have a very unique ecosystem. Uh, not only do they have all the greenhouses there, but they have all the support, the university, the companies like yours that can quickly fix things when they break down. When you work globally, you don't have that kind of ecosystem. Talk a little bit about the challenges of being a, a great a Dutch grower with that ecosystem and then trying to uh, port that technology on a global basis. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that you're absolutely right about that, that challenge. And I can also share with you that most of the Dutch growers are not even aware of that challenge <laughs> because they, they have for their whole life, they had the support system around them. In that sense, the I have uh, I have more respect for the American grower that has to deal with uh, supply lines that are that are a little bit longer. Now, what I what I really uh, uh, promote also to uh, to say our, our American customers to to think in uh, greenhouse areas or production areas. Like you basically have have today that you have specific areas in states or specific states that are specialized in 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 a type of uh, of produce. And when you organize yourself in that way, that you can also organize the the support system around it. Like for instance, in in Ohio, 
there's uh, there's uh, uh, new initiatives from the Ohio University on controlled environment agriculture. So ideally, you would organize an, a greenhouse area around that university, because then it's interesting for companies like like Ritter also to to uh, put a support center there. By the way, we already have a support center in Ohio, so that's that's an easy example. Mm -hmm. But the to organize it in pockets around the university, and then you create that. Uh, that 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 atmosphere and support system for growers because it is important because it is working with uh, a lot of technology uh, you want interaction to gain knowledge about and share knowledge to improve uh, improve yields so it's in, it's important to to think in in pockets and uh, designated areas and and ideally around uh, around universities uh, uh, focused on uh, controlled environment agriculture. Well, that's a great uh, perspective. And when you think of tomatoes, I think of Leamington, Ontario, uh, the tomato capital. Yeah, of Leamington America. is a nice example as well. Yeah, Right. A nice hub and an ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so uh, let's get to what you're best at, and that's technology. You are the CTO, Chief Technology Officer at Ritter. And so you're on a constant hunt for the uh, most state-of-the-art technologies that have practical applications. Give us um, three to five technologies, less, either categories or specific technologies that you're seeing on the horizon that excite you. Yeah, the, the, of course, it's in, uh, uh, you always have the, the, the evolution and the revolution. And there is a constant stream of, uh, of making products uh, better in the evolution. The, one of the things... Can you embellish on that evolution versus revolution? Yeah, the, the, if if I look to the to the the the, say the, the Dutch greenhouse technology, that is an, an evolution of a hundred years, but there have been there have been in those hundred years, they had there have been uh, say two or three revolutions taking place, and for instance, uh, a revolution that that took place say twenty years ago, people went out of the soil so where for hundreds of years we have been growing into the soil there came a new technology along and then people decided i'm not growing in the soil anymore. i'm growing outside of the soil into cocoa peat or peat moss or or rock wool and that really that was say a revolution got it and and at this moment i see uh, i see two revolutions uh, coming and uh, the first one is uh, 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 dig dig digitizing the growers knowledge because today it, and it's common say to say the green thumb the green thumb is really today still in the head of the grower so the grower needs to know how to grow the plants and we are working together with a number of other companies on putting that green thumb in algorithms so that there's with sensors, we are feeding the, the algorithm. We have camera systems feeding the algorithm and that the algorithm can decide what are the ideal conditions to grow. And, and that, is, that is a real revolution because today the experience of the grower is often limiting the, the, 
the capacity to grow. So the 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 so uh, putting the green thumb in algorithms is something that will really help. And, and also it's sharing knowledge over the world. Imagine that we have the, the green thumb of the best tomato grower of the Netherlands to put that into algorithms. And then we can apply that to all the tomato operations in the world. And uh, to, to embellish on that is that uh, there's a shortage of good growers out there. <laughs> so yeah, it, it yeah, solves two problems. <laughs> yeah, that solves two problems in, in one answer. And you can improve the way you grow and and it doesn't have a limiting factor anymore. And another revolution I see, I see coming in greenhouses is uh, the, the, the real application of, uh, of robots. Uh, today, uh, and it's, it's interesting to see, the, all the work done uh, in greenhouses is still all manual. So the... the, the, the uh, say the picking of the tomatoes, the twisting of the tomatoes, that's all still manual work wherever we go in the world. And also an interesting fact is that who is doing that work in greenhouses? In the Netherlands, it is a lot of uh, Polish people that do it. In Spain, it's the people from Morocco that do it. If I come to, to the US, I see a lot of Mexican people doing the work. So we are depending on, on immigrant workers to pick our tomatoes. And today, Ritter and also other companies are working on applying robots technology to do the work in greenhouses. And that is, it's quite compli complicated, by the way, because every plant is different. It's a living environment. So nothing is, uh, is stable, but uh, we're making good progress. And we expect by the end of this year to have the first commercial tomato harvester uh, ready. And, and that will also uh, yeah, be really a revolution in, uh, in the industry. And uh, together, together that, that 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 did that did the algorithms in the green thumb and the robotization will uh, will make the the, the 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 greenhouse production more autonomous, more more of an automated uh, industry. Well, our show Green Sense is on sustainability, and it always looks at cost-effective, sustainable solutions. We've covered a lot about autonomous trucking because there's a shortage of truck drivers and the autonomous uh, vehicles we think will first happen with trucks. And the way we see that happening is at the beginning, the driver and the computer will work hand in hand to drive the truck. And eventually the autonomous software will become more proficient and it'll replace the driver. The first step will be is that uh, all, those, all those automation uh, will be a tool for the, for the existing grower so that he can manage instead of one acre, he can manage 10 acres of, uh, of greenhouses. So that will be the first uh, step. And over time, the, uh, the grower will become the supervisor. Like say the, the, your example, the, the pilot in the plane. The plane can fly by itself, but yeah, it's still nice that the pilot is, uh, <laughs> is there. And, but, but what I also see is that in today's greenhouses, there's a lot of uh, uh, 
relatively low cost labor active. And what I will see is that uh, greenhouses will, will automate that low cost labor, but in return, there will be more, uh, more interesting and higher payer jobs in greenhouses for really specialist uh, uh, people. That's Joop van den Bosch, Chief Innovation Officer with Ritter. I'm Robert Colangelo and this is GreenSense. So this is a uh, melancholy day. Uh, Bob Kessler, who's been with us for over 10 years as the executive producer, is uh, moving on and we're very happy for him. He's got a full-time radio gig, which is very hard to get these days, but uh, he's gonna be sorely missed. Bob, why don't you say hello to the audience? Yeah, well, hello audience. I've I've been on the show a handful of times in the last, actually, Robert, it's 12 years, 2010. 12 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has been a great joy being a part of this. First of all, for a lot of reasons, when I met you, you had, you were really new to, to really started out more as a radio show and podcasting on the side. And we've moved it more into uh, a podcast and then a radio feature that you hear you, the podcast listeners hear you mention the Green Sense Minute, but when you started out, you were completely new to the radio and uh, spoken word podcast you know, genre. You were experienced in magazines and Brownfield Real Development, a lot of other things. And, you know, it's been really quite amazing to see how you've evolved as a talent in that time. I mean, you can hold your own these days. You don't need me anymore. Well, you know, although you have a great team <laughs> coming up with uh, Julia and and um, and Mike. Um, so. But Bob, I, 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 have all, I have my chops uh, to thank to you because you uh, were patient. You guided me. You, you helped teach me uh, the tricks of the trade. You know, the one thing I remember, there's no such thing as a bad story, just a story told badly. You know, so <laughs> I always try to remember that when I've got our group, just, you know, how to the inflections of your voice. I still don't have one of those beautiful radio voices, but uh, I'm yeah. working on it. Oh, well. I don't know if they're worth as much as they sometimes people think they are. I think, I think natural sound is there's something to it. So, but what so, I really yeah. liked best about you is that you were able to really hunt and find some wonderful guests and, you know, our, you know, this has been a labor of love. We don't make money at this. Uh, we do it because it's our way to give back and, uh, you know, highlight those people that are doing great things out there and making the world more sustainable. So some of the people that I really liked, one of the guys that touched me that was on the show was Bert, Bertrand Picard. He was the pilot behind the solar impulse. He was yep. the uh, solar yeah. plane that flew around the world. Yeah. And I just thought this guy was a modern day Lindbergh and he was so inspirational. And I was surprised that he didn't get you know a lot more press. And I remember asking him a question, well, you must have some incredible battery technology. And he talked about how, they worked with all these companies like Rolex watches uh, on, on how they have these very efficient movements. And his takeaway was, you know, before you store energy, conserve it, use the least amount of energy that you can use. And, yeah. and, I, and I thought yeah. that was, uh, you know, very good advice. Who did you like on the show? There's a few that came to mind. And I had to say, I didn't have to do a lot of hard work to, to track them down. One was Bill Curtis. He's better known, I think, in Chicago. He, he was the narrator for the film Anchorman starring Will Ferrell, but he was a very successful news anchor here in Chicago where we're, where we're based. And he has a, a grass-fed, a herd of grass-fed cattle, tall grass, tall grass beef. Tall grass beef. Yeah, so he raises, he raises beef cattle 
on a, on a ranch in Kansas. And you had the idea, let's get Bill Curtis. And he wasn't too hard to schedule. And we interviewed him. What I admire, first of all, he, he told a great story. And he was a really, you know, he's a, he's a broadcaster. So he's good at being, not only doing interviews, but being interviewed. But afterwards, you were like, we, well, we should have lunch with Bill Curtis. I want to talk to him about sponsorship. And you had all these business development ideas. And speaks to both your um, tenacity and just, I'm going to ask this guy to go have lunch with us. I don't care if he knows me or not. You know, you didn't, you didn't mind. It took some cojones and then also the graciousness of Bill Curtis because he agreed to it almost immediately. Uh, we scheduled something. We went to his studio and he gave us a tour in the, in the near north side of Chicago and he hands you what looked like a, a sort of a shillelagh. Do you remember this? Right. <laughs> he hands you a shillelagh and he said, do you know what this is? And it was a penis of a walrus. Right. That's right. It was the walrus's <laughs> genitalia that he had been given by, um, I think, an Inuit tribe or something. Because he's traveled a lot. And I think he does. I think that's his fun little joke. So, yeah, you had that in your hands. But it, it was much like a shillelagh. It, it was uh, preserved in some way. Um, is decorative and he, it had some ritualistic purpose he took us out to lunch he paid for it and he just kept it so who are you anyway so he was just a, a and we walked into delight. the restaurant and everybody knew him right? yeah yeah because he was on tv here in chicago for oh my god at the time i think he was on tv still on the nightly uh evening news i think it was one of the last stints he did but yeah that was really cool because it, it brought together you know, you, you initiated it and you were like, we're doing this. We're going to have lunch with Bill Curtis. So there was that one. The other one was Jerry Harrison of a guitarist from one of my talking heads. And that, you know, Jerry Harrison, I, an email came to me pitching him to me. I didn't reach out and he is not only a brilliant musician and record producer, but he's a, he's like a, you know like a what did you call it venture capital or he, he just right. knows something about business development and so this company that raises money for startups mostly in healthcare was a slight stretch for him to be talking in the green space but it still fit and he was really smart and really nice and really we actually you know people don't always hear the behind the scenes right now we use zoom to record this but we were using skype at the time so people were on their just their regular phones and we called him and we do, we spend a few minutes just to warm things up and brief the guests. And I talked to him and I mentioned a harmonica player that I know that had recorded with him. And he was going on and on about this harmonica player, Jim Leiben. I had to politely say, oh, you know, Mr. Harrison, we're ready to do the interview. <laughs> I, I expect him to be a little bit more, oh, I'm a busy man, you know, I'm a Grammy winner and we have an, you know, well, yeah, and, and not be that giving of his time, but he was totally giving. I think we had a follow-up call with him weeks later to also talk about some ideas. But he was, and I'm just thinking, this is the same guy. He was standing there in front of the cameras on the movie Stop Making Sense. You mentioned seeing him in, I think, the Park West in Chicago. In no, it was the Aragon Brawl Room. The, okay, the Aragon, <laughs> excuse me. And he remembered the show. So he's, anyway, those are two that, those are two that stick out immediately, but the, among many. And it's just, it's, so it's those little moments, but it's also the, 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 bigger arc of the development of the show and, and, and working with you as a talent, you know, and I've worked freelance for many of these years, as you mentioned, I'm working full time now, but there were times when I had clients and jobs come and go, but you were always, always there. And for that, I am just forever grateful. 
Well, the other one that really I enjoyed was James Baylog. He he yep. uh, made the documentary Chasing Ice, and yeah. that was amazing. He invited us to the premiere opening at the was it the Slipper Box? Uh, what was music the movie? Box, theater? Yeah, Music Box Theater. Music Box Theater. Yeah. We got to meet him. Oh, it was a wonderful show. And yeah. again, you know, he was a non-believer in climate change. And after he put these time-release cameras on five glaciers uh, and uh, did the time-lapse photography, it looked like these glaciers just were blown up and they, they deflated. And he became a believer in climate change. And his yeah. takeaway was, don't believe or not believe, use science. You know, you've got to use yeah, the use science and look at the science. And Again, I remember that one really well. Yeah. Just well. motivational. You know, when you look at his, uh, he was an award-winning photographer for National Geographic. He took beautiful pictures that were inspirational. That was, that was powerful. Yeah. yeah, actually one just came, there was the movie, um, oh, there was the movie, What Happened to the Electric Car? It was about electric cars, the development of that. And it was the follow-up. It was. The Revenge of the Electric Car. I got that's the poster right, Thank right you. here. Yeah. And. We got to test drive a Tesla back when there was the only electric car yeah. around. We rode the, the Roadster. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I have never driven a car that much fun in my life. Zero to 60 in, you know, 2.1 seconds or whatever it is was just we were going on Lakeshore Drive in Chicago in this tiny, tiny, tiny car. And, just, and la we couldn't stop laughing because it was so much fun. Well, yeah, and you, you, you did a show live, you had the recording yeah. devices. And so that was lots of fun. Uh, yeah. Another inspirational uh, uh, guest was Patrick Moore, uh, Greenpeace, mm -hmm. the founder. Yep. And uh, he was very sincere. And I remember him saying that uh, when they had a budget of 500 million a year, it was time for him to leave because they, be, be, they were no longer mission based. They were all about raising money. And I asked him the question, you know, when he was a young man uh, up in Vancouver, you know, he took a Zodiac and stopped a Japanese whaling boat. And, and that was pretty brave back then. Yeah. And I asked him, can one person still make a difference in this world? And he said, that's the only way that a difference can be made is from that one person. So again, just very motivational and uh, Bob, I just can't thank you enough. We've had such wonderful times and guests and it all went by so quick. 12 yeah. years seems like a year. <laughs> right, right back at you. We're all, you know, luckily um, this was, you know, coming together to do the show. We do it every week was the time we got to, to talk and you develop a, a rapport with people. You know, I've, I've been really lucky. I've worked with some great talent um in my career and i've had that fortunate experience of developing those uh, a strong rapport that kind of that finish each other's sentence thing i mean we i don't think we literally do that but you know what i mean and so you know i have no plans to lose touch i've, I've stayed in touch with um the people i've worked with and we've kept the friendships going so that's uh that's on my agenda well we just won't talk about we will talk about the the show but we'll talk you know we'll just hang so that's what I, that's what I get to do. So I'm lucky. Well, if you want. Uh, there is uh, such a bond between a, uh, 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 I guess uh, the announcer and the producer. Yeah. It's more than a, 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 producer a, talent, a deep, yeah. Yeah, deep uh, friendship. So, you know, thank you very much. You've done a wonderful job. You've put your fingerprint on the show and hopefully we've inspired some people out there, you know, to uh, do the right thing. So thank you very much. 
uh, we, we this is not a goodbye uh, in the uh, words of Bob Hope. Uh, thanks for the memory. It's uh, it's been wonderful, and uh, I wish you the best in your your career. And we will stay Thank in you, touch. Thank you, Robert. Okay, well, we will that we will do. So happy trails to you. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is GreenSense. Subscribe to our podcast at GreenSenseFarms.com. And listen to the GreenSense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on 105.9 WBBM Chicago.